whether you're on the weight loss maintenance side or just beginning, approach this by practicing self-compassion. And what I mean by that is to believe at this moment, independent of what you weigh or what you want to weigh, forget all, you have value as you are right this millisecond. What that does is it turns the journey and the way you think about it upside down. So we have what we're thinking about ourselves. I'm fundamentally worth taking care of. That instead of I can't eat this, I can only eat that, turns into what are the ways that I want to treat my body with reverence and respect? Hey guys, Emily Abadi here coming to you live from the AG studio. You are listening to Hurdle, a wellness focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life. And my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. For this week's installment of Hurdle Moment, I am so elated to bring you my conversation with Dr. Gary Foster. He's the chief science officer over at WW, as well as a psychologist, obesity researcher, and behavior change expert. And what we are getting into is talking all about best practice tips, tricks, and tools for weight loss maintenance. Of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't lead off this conversation by making sure that it is 100% clear, I am not saying in any way, shape, or form that anyone listening to this episode needs to lose weight. I simply know from my interactions with the Hurdle community, based on my story and what I have been through, a sizable weight loss in college, that a lot of individuals really seek out these tips and strategies to upkeep the hard work and effort that they have put into their bodies, their journey. With that said, I think it is an interesting space that we're in today with the body positivity movement, the body neutrality movement, body acceptance. A lot of people have a lot of different opinions on how we should be talking about weight loss, if it's a good thing, if it's a bad thing. I'm going to leave that opinion completely up to you. All I'm here to do is arm you with the tips, tricks, and tools. As I said, if weight loss maintenance is something that you are interested in. And today's conversation, I mean, it's not just for people that are really looking to maintain a weight loss. I would say there's a lot of really helpful takeaways from Dr. Foster that are applicable to just a healthier way of life. This man is a wealth of knowledge. He gives us strategies for everything from keeping a positive mindset to journaling to overall mindfulness and opening up about your journey with friends or perhaps even a therapist. There's so much, so much, so much goodness in here and I'm happy it's now living on the feed. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And we still have a few spots in tonight's goal-setting workshop as well as a few spots in next week's goal-setting workshop. I would love to have you join us. Use the code GRATEFUL at the link in the show notes to get 10% off and snag your spot today. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Gary Foster. He's the chief science officer at WW. He's also an adjunct professor at UPenn. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm so excited to have you with me today uh, to talk about weight loss maintenance. Now, before we dive right into helpful tricks, tips, all of that kind of good stuff, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your background so that the hurdlers know exactly who they're dealing with here. So give me some information. I know you said you've been with WW before we hopped into this recording for eight years now. So talk to me about how you got into this line of work. Yeah, it was actually right after I graduated college. I knew I wanted to be a psychologist. Um, at least that's what I thought. And I got some good advice from an undergraduate mentor who said, if you want to be a psychologist, go work with psychologists first. And I uh, went to school in Pittsburgh, came back home to Philadelphia and got a job quite by accident at the University of Penn. And it turned out with three luminaries in the field, uh, Kelly Brownell, Mickey Stunkert and Tom Wadden, who really from then to now, there are two things that really impressed me about the field. Uh, One is how nasty and unkind and unhelpful weight-based stigma is. And uh, so those three mentors opened my eyes to that and my own experiences with people struggling with their weight. Um, So that's the thing that continues to drive me to to today and the work that we do at WW around research, around weight stigma, and lots of other things that we can get into if you're interested. The other piece is that science-based approaches can make a difference. And it's a category that unfortunately is characterized by a lot of false promises, quick fixes, fad diets. Um, And there is a lot of science that can help people both in the short and the long term. So those two things I learned some 30 years ago are still the things that, that drive me today. And I think it would be also really helpful as we kind of jump into this conversation, aside from knowing your background now, maybe talk a little bit about some statistics, if you will, for us to have a better understanding of what's going on, uh, at least here in the US. I know that a statistic I found from 2019 from marketresearch.com, the weight loss market reached a record worth of $78 billion. And I also know that on the total opposite side, nothing to do with money. Losing 5 to 10% of your total body weight can do a whole lot of benefit for your body, ranging from improving your blood pressure, cholesterol, and your blood sugar levels. Do you have any other insight into some of the statistics that we should know about what's going on with our population as we see it today? Yeah, I, I think one, one orienting statistic is that nearly uh, upwards of 70% of the population has overweight or obesity. Um, and the number for obesity is and overweight has been increasing. Partly it's just a secular trend that's been happening over the last 30 years, uh, particularly in adults, but now also in children. Um, and the other thing is that COVID has exacerbated the problem for reasons that are predictable, right? You get out of routines, it's tougher to take care of yourself, you have the added stress. So that combination of stress and the uncertainty of when will this be over Uh, the disruption of routines has really exacerbated uh, a problem that's already pretty significant. I think the other thing to consider is when people talk about the weight loss industry, that that's a pretty big category. That can include things like diet drinks and low-calorie foods. When you actually look at the number of people who um, are enrolling in structured weight management programs, 
it's actually very few. It's only about mm. 5% of the people who are trying to lose weight. About 35 to 40% of people in the U.S. are trying to lose weight at any one time. Most people are trying to do that on their own. And that's where people can get attracted for sort of natural human reasons that this sounds great. I'll try it. That sounds great. But then they end up going on and off things that for reasons we could talk about are usually pretty onerous and draconian, uh, although they seem like they would you know, bring motivation in the short term, they actually sap it. And what I do also want to throw into the mix here before we keep going is, as I mentioned at the top of this, we are here to talk about strategies for weight loss maintenance. In no way is this me sitting here telling everyone that's listening to this show that they should lose weight. But in the context to my story, I actually personally used WW back when I was in college to lose something like about 70 pounds. And that weight loss dramatically impacted my life for the better because not only of the health benefits I got from kind of taking ownership over my circumstance and plus mental health benefits that came hand in hand with executing and living a healthier lifestyle. But I understand and recognize that I am in a small category of people that are able to keep off weight after losing a significant amount of it. Do you have any insight about uh, how many people that lose weight are successful at keeping it off long-term? Yeah, I think the data we have from clinical trials, you know, I would say 20 years ago, a, a statistic that was often cited is most people uh, won't be able to lose weight of those, you know, less than 5% will be able to maintain it. The field has improved significantly since then. And trials that we've done at WW, for example, would show that when you give people exposure to our program, either for 12 or 52 weeks, and follow them up two years later, that they're able to maintain about two thirds of their weight loss. So there is some weight regain, but it's right. not like everybody goes back to baseline or everybody goes up. But the experience that you describe, not for yourself, because you've been incredibly successful. Congrats on that. That's not thank an easy you, task. Thank you. Um, th that there are people who you know lose weight very quickly and rebound, and lots of reasons for that. There could be biology involved. Life could get in the way. The approach that people pick is often very strict and and just a lot of work, and it's not sustainable. So. Um, not suggesting this is an easy problem to manage, but I think science-based strategies can play a, a much more helpful role than sort of what's the latest you know, sort of diet du jour. In my weight loss, what was helpful incorporating a program like WW into the mix was that I learned a lot about food. And I learned a lot about foods that made me feel good and what types of foods I should be leaning into more than others, perhaps. I mean, the program has drastically changed that you guys offer since when I was an active member. But again, it was a really educational time for me and it helped me lay a foundation which aided me in keeping off a majority, I would say, of this weight loss even to this day. So again, that's what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about weight loss maintenance. So right off the bat, for someone that has lost a significant amount of weight, what would you say is probably the point where they may like understand like, okay, it's time to transition into maintenance and like be okay with like what has happened here? Yeah, it's a really great question because uh, in my years of working with individuals and groups and now in my work at WW where it's millions of people who I have access to digitally and in person. So I spend a lot of time listening to folks and um, it's the rare person who can say or who does say it's time for me to maintain my weight. It's always just another 510. Let me get a buffer. Um, and that constant pursuit of the next stage has some 
bad effects. It, it deprives you of the ability to celebrate the significant accomplishment that people have when they have lost weight, whether it's five pounds or 50 pounds is sort of immaterial. Um, they're different processes, but the psychological process is that, okay, I've reached the goal that I had. And for many people, it's not so much about weight. It's how they're feeling, how they're moving. Uh, I can get up steps with less shortness of breath. I can roll around the floor with my kids or my grandkids. It's not some specific number on a scale. So that that's part of the process. And then I think from there, then you can say, okay, I'm going to go to a place where I'm happy maintaining this current state. And there's a lot of factors that go into that. One that I often talk to people about is how hard is this? Like if you're already working at a 10 plus, like that should create some pause about whether this weight is actually realistically sustainable. And then further weight loss would almost be off the table. But if, if you're working at a a seven or an eight, that's probably a great place because you can back down a little bit. You can give yourself uh, some latitude to eat slightly more because you'll be going from a weight loss mode to a weight maintenance mode. But you also have for overall health reasons, but also because it's the single best predictor of who keeps weight off and who doesn't, is you're going to need to engage in more physical activity. So first step is just to get your head wrapped around, not this relentless chasing of some silly number on a scale. Get it grounded in things that are important to you, not some number. And then give yourself sort of a, a temperature check about, does this feel like something I can do for a long time? And if it doesn't, then I think you need to reevaluate. Yeah. And I can definitely relate to the idea of chasing, you know, that buffer, those extra five to 10 pounds. And what I found in my journey was that although my lowest weight may be about 10 to 12 pounds less than I am right now, that was a weight that like felt okay in college. That's not a weight that feels okay for me now at 33. At 33, I know what feels good in my body. And sure, like, I think we can all get caught up at times with like that number on the scale. But to go back to your point you just made, it's about that feeling and like what feels right. I don't feel good trying to deprive myself to that college goal weight. Like that doesn't feel good for me anymore. That's a great way to think about it. it, it as we think about the process of weight management, it's really a way to take care of yourself. And if you start with that position in the journey, whether you're in the beginning, middle, end, or it's an ongoing journey, if this is something that's feeling like you're doing something for yourself, not against yourself, something that's positive, not punitive, something that literally is a gift to yourself, that changes the frame. So it gets to the question you're asking is, what feels good to me, not how do I chase some unrealistic goal on the scale? Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So the first step to weight maintenance is getting to a point where you're like, okay, I am ready to maintain, putting it into the universe, speaking it in to existence. After we get to this point, what are some of the steps that we should take? You mentioned the importance of physical activity, for example. Yeah. Physical activity is, is certainly important in the short term. You get about 20% more weight loss uh, with activity than without. But that could be trivial on a weekly basis. That could be like instead of one pound, 1.2 pounds, right? So it's not overly compelling. And the single most important reason to do physical activity is for all of the benefits going back to does it feel good? There's lots of emotional benefits. It reduces stress. It improves self-esteem. Uh, there's lots of medical benefits. It prevents diabetes. It helps manage diabetes, heart disease, blood pressure, cholesterol. It, the, the I mean, it is the single 
most impactful behavior you can do for your health. Forget about weight. When it comes to weight loss maintenance, the studies are really clear that people who are more active do much better. And it doesn't mean you have to be running marathons. Marathons are great if you're so disposed, but simply walking 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, not every single day of your life, but on a regular basis, actually predicts who does better and who doesn't. And, and importantly for physical activity, and this goes just to the whole mindset of when you're approaching weight and particularly weight loss maintenance, is move in ways that move you. So if, if you love running, go for it. If you love yoga, go for it. But don't think that I've got to do something that it's sort of this dated thing, like no pain, no gain. That's nonsense. If there's pain, it won't be sustainable. So why would you do it? So I think it's, yeah, physical activity, but abandon the ideas that it has to hurt to help, no pain, no gain, and find ways that are enjoyable. And for lots of folks that we work with, it's connecting some other social aspect to that or something that's reinforcing. So instead of saying, I have to go to the gym, I have to go walk a mile or whatever, I'm going to do that with a friend, or I'm going to do that uh, in the kid with the kids, uh, with my kids in the park, or I'm going to listen to my favorite podcast while I'm on the treadmill. To couple those things that initially uh, aren't maybe, or maybe neutral or a tad unpleasant to you with things that are pleasant will lead to habit formation. And it really means those things now become automatic. They don't become work. Yeah, and I love what you said about the podcast and the treadmill. Like if you start to stack your habits, then they're going to be something that are even more attractive to you for sure. And of course, do what do what you like. Do what you love. The activity will be better the more ways that you can make it enjoyable for yourself. You also mentioned a buzzword here, which will transition us into the next part, which is mindset. I think mindset is a huge part, a huge piece to the puzzle when it comes to weight loss maintenance. Let's talk a little bit about that and how, what kind of mindset or what kind of self-talk is going to help you on your journey to maintaining all of that hard work? Yeah, I think in some ways the the keys around mindset, and I'll just define mindset for a second in the way, uh, at least in my mind, and the science would bear this out, it's the way you think about yourself and the way you think about the journey. And both of those are critically important. Because of the weight and shape-based stigma that we talked about earlier, a lot of people start from a position of denigrating themselves, of saying, here I go again, how did I get myself in this position? And to somehow think that their weight or their worth is contingent on their weight. And that's a really uh, fragile position to start in and the data don't support it and it's not effective. So. The first thing about mindset is, again, whether you're on the weight loss maintenance side or just beginning, is to approach this by practicing self-compassion. And what I mean by that is to believe at this moment, independent of what you weigh or what you want to weigh, forget all, you have value as you are right this millisecond. What that does is it turns the journey and the way you think about it upside down. So we have what we're thinking about ourselves. I'm fundamentally worth taking care of. That instead of I can't eat this, I can only eat that, turns into what are the ways that I want to treat my body with reverence and respect? And that's a different way to look at physical activity or what food you're going to have for dinner rather than what's on my diet checklist. So that that's a fundamental underpinning of any successful weight loss maintenance journey is treating yourself with self-compassion. 
I think another thing is, and you talked about self-talk, is that there are many different types, probably three central types of thinking styles that can get in the way. One is all or none thinking. So I'm a success or I'm a failure. I'm on a diet. I'm off a diet. That's just not real life. And it actually allows people to take an off ramp from the journey. Other ways that derail people or ways that they focus on the negative. They focus on the one or two days they didn't work out versus two or three that they did. And then finally, there's this catastrophizing. So, you know, you take one event and, you know, it's just going to happen forever. So how you talk to yourself during the journey is critically important. And I think that comes to allowing yourself to expect, expect, fully expect setbacks. They happen to 100% of the people 100% of the time. What can you learn from those and get right back on track? So a thing that has really been useful, and this is from cognitive behavioral therapy, is that when you have a setback, the goal is not to overcompensate for that. So if you ate more than you planned or moved less than you planned, that's fine. Go back to whatever you were doing the next day or the next meal or the next hour. This overcompensation leads to over-restriction, deprivation, and then there's a bounce-back effect. So that's where I think mindset can really be important in terms of how you think about yourself with self-compassion, but also how you think about the journey and that setbacks are an inevitable part of the journey. Expect them, recover from them, and don't overcompensate. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about my sponsors. First up, my friends at Beam. Now, specifically today, I want to talk to you about Beam Dream. You may have heard me talk about it on the show before, and that is because I am head over heels for this stuff. Beam Dream is a delicious CBD-based hot cocoa. It promotes better sleep and a more refreshed morning. It tastes so good. And the best part about that is that it also is made without artificial sweeteners or added sugar. So it tastes this good and it's got none of that bad stuff. It also contains five powerful ingredients, including nano CBD, reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, and melatonin to help you get the shut eye that I'm telling you, you deserve it. Especially because good sleep is imperative for not only your physical health, but also your mental well-being. Relevant to our conversation here today, I am all about all good things in moderation, including ice cream every now and again. But a lot of the time, I want something sweet, but I know that it may not be the best idea for me to take that pint out of the freezer. So Beam Dream has come in the clutch when it comes to this. The best part of it being that this sweet treat also helps me sleep better. Beam has an awesome discount for you. If you head on over to beamorganics.com slash hurdle, that's beam, B-E-A-M, organics.com slash hurdle, you can get 35% off your first month subscription of Beam Dream today. Plus, a free mug and frother. Again, head on over to beamorganics.com slash hurdle to get 35% off your first month of Beam Dream plus some freebies ASAP. Also want to give some love to my friends at AG1 from Athletic Greens. Man, I'm not even exaggerating here. AG1 by Athletic Greens is the first thing I put aside when it comes to packing my suitcase to go anywhere. I literally was prepping for my little weekend trip that I just took to Cabo San Lucas. And in doing that, 
It was on the counter next to my passport and my ID and my suntan lotion. And that's because I know that no matter wherever I am in the world, starting my day off with AG1 from Athletic Greens, shaking up my greens powder with ice cold water, it helps me get back to my body and feel like a better me. It's got 75 whole food source ingredients as well as prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods. Trust me, this is the easiest thing that you can add into your routine to prioritize your health and well-being. I know we're often looking for like quote-unquote health hacks, and I'm not saying this is a health hack, but I am saying it's kind of a no-brainer to use AG1 from Athletic Greens to get in all the essential vitamins and nutrients and things that your body needs to perform at its best. Of course, AG1 by Athletic Greens has a deal for you and I'm here to give it to you. It is five free travel packs as well as a year's supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. Just head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get yours today. No code necessary. Let's get back to it. something you mentioned toward the beginning there was talking about investing in yourself and understanding that regardless of your size, that you are worthy of that investment. When I you know, was overweight, when I was over 200 pounds, for me, I didn't understand that, right? I hadn't felt as though, uh, whether it be, you know, my self-talk or what was going on in the society and the world around me, that I was worthy of that kind of energy. And what I realized through investing in myself was that I deserved my own energy. I deserved my own attention and my own affection. And now, regardless of what happens here, if I keep this weight off, if I don't keep this weight off, although it's been, you know, a nice chunk of time that I've been ma- maintaining this for myself, but I know that like I am always worthy of that investment. And I think that that, again, is just a theme to to run home here, regardless of who's listening to this, where you are in your personal journey, is that you are worthy of that energy, no matter your size, no matter where you're out, no matter where you're at, whether things are going, quote unquote, well, or if they're not going well, which brings us back to your point just now about making sure that if you hit those hurdles, you're not completely nosediving in this like extreme deprivation space because that's not going to do any good for anybody yeah exactly it's really it's it's this realistic view of the journey but also this as you expressed it so eloquently there is that you are worth taking care of that you do have value and you deserve to treat yourself well that's a nice buffer for the ups and downs which will absolutely happen not just in a weight management journey but in life if you think about people are going to work on their relationships or work on their work performance. It's the same thing. There will be setbacks and your worth isn't determined on that. But if you're, if you're saying, I want to improve in this way or another, I want to treat my body differently. I want to treat it with the respect and reverence it deserves. Again, coming at that is something you're doing for yourself makes all the difference rather than something that's being imposed. We would be remiss if we didn't cover or speak about food because food and intake of food is a important thing to talk about when it comes to maintaining weight loss. I love what you said before about the importance of us after a large weight loss, reframing the way that we look at food in general, instead of putting things on a cannot eat list or a these are good foods versus bad foods list, it's learning how to look at food holistically as it applies to our lives and our everyday. Absolutely. A mantra at WW for us, and again, because it's based in science, is that all foods are on the menu. 
it, it has to be. As soon as you say, I can't have that psychologically, you want it. You know, why wouldn't you? It's, it's, a, it's a model based on deprivation. And I think the other problem to solve, whether it's early in the journey or later in the journey, is that we're bombarded with information about foods. If you just look at a food label, it must have 12 or 13 lines of data. And it's got milligrams and grams and percent of the RDA. It's like, you, you need to be a registered dietitian and you have to have a PhD in calculus to figure out exactly yeah. what you're supposed to eat. Um, and so what we've done is develop a system called a personal point system, which takes a lot of the science about that all fats aren't the same. There's a difference between healthy fats and saturated fats. All sugar's not the same. There's a difference between added sugar and natural sugar and puts six, seven of things into a formula and distill that into one number. So there has to be a way um, to take that complexity and make it simple. And then to your point, which is critically important, these points values that don't represent this is a good food and a bad food. Like if that's the way you're thinking, that's all or none thinking, right? That's definitely a cognitive landmine for you to not do well, because then that sort of trend, it's even the words good and bad are moral. Your, your character is not measured by how many M&Ms you ate today or not. Eating is not a moral issue. So the more we can get away from judgment or character assassination, somehow that's an indication of who I am by what I eat. That's just not going to work. And to your other point, this broad, holistic view of eating a variety of foods, of picking your spots, sometimes there'll be holiday times or there could be a Saturday night. They will be different and that's okay. Real life is not that you eat the same on a Monday as a Saturday and allowing yourself uh, some psychologists, scientific psychologists call this flexible restraint so that you're mindful about what cho- what you're choosing, but you have some flexibility. You're not going to say, I'm going to eat the same thing, the same calories, the same points every single day. That's not real life. Right, right. And I think, um, although it might not be the same every day, for me, something that's been super helpful is having certain things that I know I love to have around that promote me taking care of myself and my body, uh, whether that's, you know, the AG1 I shake up first thing in the morning, or if it's having fresh berries in my fridge so that I can eat those for my afternoon snack instead of like opening the pint of ice cream, which I still do keep in the freezer, but I'll save that for like my like couple of spoonfuls when it gets to dessert time instead of like hitting that mid-afternoon sugar craving in that other way. So I feel like, you know, keeping things around the home that promote who you want to be. Not to say that like I can't keep the ice cream in the freezer. I can't have a thing of cookies in my closet. But for me, when it comes to weight loss maintenance, I'm often better off if I'm like usually seeking those things outside of my home. It doesn't mean that I can't have them. In fact, I have them pretty regularly, but it just is a better strategy for me to, you know, feel better in my own body. Yeah. I think you said two things that are really helpful there. One is that it's a way you're promoting your own health. This, again, is turning the journey around. It's not like you're going to dieter's prison, all right? I have to do all this onerous work to keep my weight off. Or to, This is about taking care of yourself, and it feels different. Uh, so it's not like berries are a punishment, right? It's These are foods that make me feel good. The other right. thing that the way you're setting up your environment is it's going to promote habits. Foods that are more accessible will be eaten more frequently. And if you just, it sounds simple, right? But it's not so simple. It requires a little bit of setup time, right? And to thinking about it. So again, how you think about you, I'm worth taking care of. I want to do things to promote my health. And how you think about the journey is how I set up my environment. I know for a lot of people, 
that I've worked with that COVID provided a, a real big challenge just because of the foods. People were doing Zoom calls like three feet from their kitchen. That changes the environment. So after a Zoom call, you get into a routine is, oh, I'll go through the kitchen. I'll check what, what's in the pantry. Those kind of things make a difference. So setting your household up in ways that are, as you describe it, I think really well, in ways to take care of yourself is really a, a tip for success. Yeah. I mean, I definitely went through a period like you described during COVID where I felt as though I was getting like a little out of control in that like literally every Zoom call and okay, time to go look at what's in the fridge. And I finally yeah. got to a point as I think many people who have gone through a similar experience as I have where I got like fed up with my own BS and I saw that I kept making excuses and excuses as to why I was bringing things into my home that like may have in the moment tasted good, but didn't make me feel good. And to take back that agency and to realize and really like savor the feelings that I experienced when I took back control over what I was putting into my body, it wasn't obscenely restrictive. It wasn't like I wasn't eating. Like, let's make that clear. What I did was stopped eating a bunch of stuff that didn't make me feel good. And I was so thankful to get to that place of ownership and agency and control and like satisfaction. And I think that that is something that in today's society can be looked at so many different ways. But all I knew um, and, you know, it's self-worth, it's self-talk. It's that my self-talk got better when I took back control. Absolutely. You know, it, it's a scientific fact that uh, self-efficacy or the your ability in the belief to affect change for yourself is highly predictive of success. And it goes to this agency and control that you're talking about. And again, this goes back to this central thesis is that I'm in charge of this journey and I view this journey as something that's nurturing to myself. If you start there, you're 80% of the way there because the, the whole process feels different. It doesn't feel like work. It feels like, as you said, you're grateful that you're able to make these changes in ways that feel um, kind to yourself and give yourself grace. And Giving yourself grace is really important on a long-term journey of any sort. Again, whether it's work, relationships, or managing your, your weight and wellness journey, because you will have these setbacks. And that if you have really harsh talk to yourself every time you have a setback, that's going to be a long haul and it just won't be sustainable. Yeah. So we've talked about the importance of environment. We've talked about being smart about the foods that you keep around and what you're putting into your body, the importance of movement, self-talk. Uh, one other habit that we haven't touched on yet, which I know that has been really helpful for me when it comes to articulating how I'm feeling and being honest about what's happening with me and my body and my thought process is journaling. Can you talk to me a little bit about why journaling? and like kind of writing things out and seeing where you're at can be really helpful? Yeah, I think it be, can be helpful for a couple of reasons. One is that it just increases awareness and that's in our busy day-to-day -day lives and also in which things can become very automatic or habitualized. We might not be aware of the kind of things we're doing. And it could be on the very tactical side uh, that it's well known that we do a lot of mindless eating. So while we're watching a favorite show or listening to this or doing that or doing work, you just sort of mindlessly eat. You're not you're sort of tasting it, but sort of not not getting much enjoyment from it. Um, and that's so journaling can just increase your awareness of the foods you're eating. That's sort of food journaling. But there's also the, the benefit of journaling just how you're feeling. And it gets to be very therapeutic 
just to be able to, it takes a process, right? So you have to think about how you're feeling. You get the words, you have to write it down. That's a process. Now you're reading. That's a process. And it, it's cathartic in a way to be able just to get some clarity about I'm having a rough day. What, what's happening? Um, and just to get that, uh, whether it's on a piece of paper or on your phone or wherever it is, can be really, really helpful. Another technique that we, we know scientifically really makes a difference, which is a form of tracking, is called the three good things technique, which you're probably familiar with. But it's basically at the end of the day, you can do it any time of day, just write down three things you're grateful for. It could be trivial. It could be the smell of a good, great cup of coffee in the morning. It could be you heard from an old friend. It could be pride in some accomplishment of you, family members, etc. And just for three minutes, wallow around in that feeling about what it was like to smell that cup of coffee, what it was like to get some good news, to get some compliment. And that actually makes people happy. So it's a form of tracking that can ground you in reality. It's another good thing tracking does, because sometimes people say like, oh, I've blown it. I'm out of control. Well, you write it down and you track it. So it's really about awareness and it's about normalizing and it's about reminding yourself of, you know, it's probably not as bad as you think. Or if it's not exactly where you want, at least you have a roadmap of where you want to make some changes. Right. And I think in that, I love that one of the examples that you listed was like smelling the coffee, right? Because it doesn't need to be like this massive, uh, huge accomplishment, like moment, you know, you know what I'm saying here. Just the smell of the coffee could be something, a small thing that you have gratitude for. And this is definitely a a practice that I've kind of adopted as well. I do it most often in the morning, um, if not first thing when I'm journaling just normally uh, before I get into my morning exercise, I sit down at my desk and literally at the top of my to-do list every day when I get into this room, when I get into this studio is a place to write three bullets of gratitude. And to be able to sit there, if I have trouble articulating three different things and I kind of have like a moment where I take a step back and I'm like, what are you so wrapped up in that you can't find the simple joys in your day? And like kind of do a little, little pulse check, have a little moment. Yep. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's, it's important. It, I think it's you're right. Important. It, yeah, and it's a, a way to ground your day. I was talking to somebody recently who said that they have uh, teenage children and that uh, at dinner time it's it's sort of like pulling teeth. How was your day? Fine. How was school? Fine. And they started a ritual where each person just went around and said one thing, and it changed the whole tone of dinner. Um, Smart. And it, just to your point, in the beginning of the day, it changes your day. Is it a pulse check that I can't find some things? Or if you get anchored in those things, even for a few minutes, it actually makes your day better. It's a powerful, powerful technique. Super powerful technique. And one thing we did mention earlier, which I think is uh, uh, important for us to highlight before I do let you go today, is the importance of bringing other people into the fold or talking about your experience with others, whether that's a friend or perhaps some sort of therapist. Uh, We talked about it in relevance to having an activity partner. But beyond that, why is it important to talk about your experience if you're hoping to uh, maintain a weight loss? I think because sometimes we get, and this goes back to what we discussed earlier, you get lost in your own self-talk and our self-talk tends to be automatic, irrational, and quite negative. And one of the the techniques for self-compassion actually is talk to yourself like a friend would. So and it doesn't have to be your best friend, but if you can think about WW, we have a very robust digital community. We have face-to-face. It could be people who are close to you. It could be people more distant, but they actually have this, this sense of normalizing. Like I've heard people say, um, 
you know, they've lost 50 pounds and they regained five and I've blown it. I'm right back where I started. And it's like, if you said that to somebody else, or if somebody else said that to you, your response would be, you know, realistic, like a friend would be, but it would be kind and it would be balanced, not the harsh self-talk. So I think the most powerful thing about a community is it can be normalizing the way a good friend was. That doesn't mean everything's great. Don't worry about it. It'll get better by itself. It won't. But this this uh, compassionate realism that you can get from virtual and physical communities can be really powerful. And it really gets at the heart of the issue of how people talk to themselves. And what's very clear from the science is that despite what people think, because people often think the harder I am on myself, you know, if, if tough love is good, self-tough love is twice as good. The data are very clear. It robs you of motivation and self-compassion beats self-criticism every single time. Oh, what a line. What a line. I want to ask you if there's anything else that we should address here. It's so easy to end on like that sucker punch great note, but is there anything else that you think we should address before I let you go today? I think just to give yourself grace to to think about wherever you are, whether it's a weight loss maintenance journey or other any other journey, that there will be bumps in the road. Um, and that especially when it comes to weight loss maintenance, it's tougher than weight loss because the dynamics change from a reinforcement perspective. Nobody's saying, oh, you look great. You've kept your weight off for two years. You're getting lots of bennies during the process. Clothes sizes are changing. People are noticing you're starting to get dramatic differences in how you feel, how you move, where maintenance is just that. It's maintenance and people don't notice change. So that's why this fundamental belief in your own self-worth and finding ways in the journey to take care of yourself and nurture yourself. That's what this journey is about, not chasing some number on the scale, I think is just central to being successful in the long haul. I loved this conversation. Dr. Foster, thanks so much for your time and, oh my God, your wealth of knowledge. I definitely would not be surprised, hurdlers, if you hear from him again on the show. How do the how do the hurdlers follow along with you, learn more from you, keep up with you? Give us all the info. Yeah, at Dr. Gary Foster on Twitter. Awesome. Again, I'm, I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. 